the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let me remind you how you know and do the will of God when you read God's Word. Because when you read God's Word, God speaks. The foundation of the Christian faith is that we believe this is the Word of God. That means when you read it, it's God speaking. You want God to speak out loud in your life? Read the Bible out loud. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Six months since we as a church really began to change our strategy about how we would gather for worship. And for a season, all we could do was worship together online. Shortly after that began, something kind of unusual took place in our home. I noticed that after we would sit as a family and as we would worship with our congregation at online church, my little girl, she would begin to do something in another room. With the help of Amazon Alexa and a video recorder from one of our phones, she would have church. I would hear her praying. She would sing. Uh, There would even be preaching. And yes, that was coming from her. She would always share the gospel and even extend an invitation. I think a time or two, she even tried to take an offering, but her brothers just didn't give too much. What was she doing? She was playing church. She was pretty good at it. I've grown up around church, and you know what? She's not the only one that plays that game. I've seen a lot of boys and girls and many men and women play church. Some of them even put on costumes. They go full bore into this game of church. Some even play like it's something they've got to win. It's a dangerous thing to play church. But you know what's more dangerous than playing church? Playing God. That's what we're going to talk about today from the book of James. We play God when we pretend and act as if we're in control. We play God when we live our life with the illusion or the delusion of self-sufficiency. What are some ways that we play God in our life? Well, we play God with the relationships in our life. I know that's not somebody I need to be with, but I just like the way they make me feel. We play God with even the educational pursuits of our lives. We've always wanted to do this, so that's what we study. We play God even with the vocation in our life. We don't consult him, but we decide what we're going to do based on what we feel like we're good at or what we've always wanted to be when we grow up. As we get older, we play God in our marriage relationships. We play God with our finances. And yes, many even play God in retirement. And they end up wasting their life. It was John Piper who years ago wrote that little book out of a sermon. He preached, Don't Waste Your Life. And he talked about getting to the point where all you do is walk along the seashore in Punta Gorda, Florida, picking up seashells, playing God. 
When we play God, we always set ourselves up for failure. Let's get real today. There is a God, but you're not him. There is a God, but I'm not him. There is a God, and we need to know him. That's what James is talking about in chapter 4. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. He grew up around Jesus Christ, and yet he didn't follow Jesus until after the resurrection. He didn't believe until he saw his brother as Lord after his death, his burial, and resurrection. And then James, he, he got the real thing. And so as he writes to us, he's challenging us to live like we've gotten the real thing. He, he's, he's challenging us to put shoe leather to our faith, to walk out our talk, to, to do more than just profess something, but to live as if we possessed something. And James did that. He was known as James the Just because of his godliness. In fact, some in a derogatory way referred to him as old camel knees because James was known as one who knelt so much in prayer that his knees had calluses. In James chapter 4, he begins by describing a person who's at war with themselves and then ultimately at war with God, and he ends by describing how we walk in the will of God. To set our talk up today, I think it would be good to Remember where we ended last week, James chapter 4 and verse 10. James said this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He's reminding us that humility is at the core of the Christian faith. You simply cannot be like Christ if you walk in pride. If you live your life to exalt yourself, to climb over everyone else, to be all you can be no matter what the expense and don't call yourself a Christian because that's not very Christ-like. But to be like Christ, we must humble ourselves. And you could say that humility means knowing you are not God and knowing you are not good. There is a God. We're not God. And God is good, but we're not good. The only thing good in me is Jesus. There's nothing good in me that doesn't come from Jesus. And James is going to remind us of the importance of that. As we continue in chapter 4, before we jump into that, would you allow me to pray once more and just ask God to humble us, to strip us of anything that would get in the way of what he wants us to get in this moment? Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we've gathered, having sung, having prayed, having praised, and now seeking to hear from you. So speak, giving us what we do not have, teaching us what we do not know, making us men and women, boys and girls that are transformed for your glory. God, I pray for me, I pray for us, that you would strip us of the pride, of the arrogance, of the boasting that would get in the way of what you want to see accomplished here today. Lord, there's nothing we can glory in but the cross. So I pray today that there would be somebody who hears the message of the cross and humbles themselves resigning the leadership of their lives and giving you control. Lord, in the meantime, I pray that the words I say and the thoughts I think would be pleasing to you, my strength, my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. James is going to warn us about the dangers of playing God. And there's two primary ways we play God. We play God with the people in our life and we play God with the 
plans in our life. First, he tells us, beware of playing God with the people in your life. Most all of us have done that. You've done it if you're married. You've tried to control another person. You've done it if you're a parent. You've tried to control your children. You've probably done it in the workplace. You've tried to control those you work with or even those you work for. You've done it in the classroom. You try to control the students if you're a teacher, and that's a hard job, but sometimes the students, we even try to manipulate and control the environment and even the teachers. We play God with the people in our lives. But what is James talking about? Look at verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. That literally means to speak down to. Some of you have the translation slander. It may be telling the truth. It may be telling a lie, but it's talking in a critical and negative way. He says brothers. It should say brothers and sisters. He's speaking in the faith. In the Greek, it's a gender neutral word. He's saying all of you who profess to follow Christ, do not speak evil. Why? The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil, listen to this, against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and a judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Think about that phrase. Who are you? James gets in our face to get in our heart. And in this place, he's getting in our face to remind us that we are not God. Who do we think we are? to look at people the way we sometimes look at people. And he tries to make it real clear. This is not just your gossip when you're saying negative things behind somebody's back. This means even if you're saying something true or even if you're saying it to their face, if you're speaking for the purpose of tearing another person down, bringing them down to your level, trying to control, trying to manipulate, focusing in a critical way of everything wrong with them, he's saying that is not of God. And it's not good. Wow, this is something we're all guilty of, isn't it? We try to control people, and we do it often with this little rudder that James has referred to, our tongue. And it gets us into trouble. It's Blaise Pascal who said, I lay it as a fact that if men knew what others say of them, there would not be four friends in the world. Oh, I pray that's not true. What is he saying? Everybody's talking about everybody. We're all tearing each other down. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I think it starts as a child. Little Andrew was in his kindergarten. He was looking at the picture of his kindergarten class. He's pointing out the people in the class, and he says, this is, this is Tommy. And Tommy cheats, and he steals, and he's a bully. And he says, and, 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 and that's Sam. And Sam 
And he's never quiet. He's always talking. And, and that's Peter. And Peter, man, he's nosy. And that right there, that's me. And I'm just sitting there minding my own business. And that's the way we act as adults. We point out everybody else's faults, everybody else's shortcoming, and then we act as if we're just minding our own business. Well, what's the problem with this? It ignores a basic biblical principle. You know what that principle is? You were created in the image of God. And everybody you see is created in the image of God. We were all fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why as Christ followers, as God-fearers, we believe in the sanctity and the sacredness of human life. Now, often in a setting like this, we only talk about that as it relates to abortion. And so we should. I come from a generation where a third of my generation is not alive. Because since this was legalized in our nation, 60 million babies have been aborted. I always think pro-life in that manner. When I vote, I vote pro-life in that manner. How could I not? I don't care if I'm voting for dog catcher. I want the dog catcher to be pro-life because I like dogs. Of course, I'm going to be pro-life. But he's not just talking about the sanctity of a baby's life. He's talking about the sanctity of every life. That we've got to learn to respect one another. And we live in an age where the first thing we do is divide and disagree and draw a line, whether it's in person or whether it's on Facebook. Some of us act as if we just have to say what we're thinking. But you don't. Because you're not God. And we do that. The Bible tells us it puts us against God's law. James is telling us the same thing he had told us in verse 6. Remember in verse 6, he said, you're at war within yourself and you're at enmity with God. You're fighting with God. Well, here he's tell us, telling us when you talk to other people that way, you're going against the laws of God. What laws of God could we be going against? Well, he could be talking about Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor. As yourself, because I am the Lord, said God. He, he could have been talking about the law when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, where Jesus said, yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, we know that's what he's talking about because he even calls it the royal law. James is saying when you talk against other people, when you have a critical spirit, when you're always negative, you're fighting with God. You're against the law. But he says, not only are you against the law, when you, when you do this, you're acting as if you're above the law. That's what we do when we put other people down, isn't it? Generally, we put other people down because we're trying to lift ourselves up. We're trying to act like we're above them or we're better than them. And James says what we're really doing is we're acting like God. We're playing God, like we're above the law. But we're not. So how do we balance this? Because what I find is there's kind of two extremes, even in the church. And they often come from the same chapter of Scripture, from the same teaching of Jesus. And it's Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, 1, we've got that famous 
word of Jesus where he says, judge not, that you not be judged. How many times have we heard that? And often it's to justify sinful choices, isn't it? When we as Christ followers stand up for what is right, often we'll hear somebody shout back at us, judge not, lest you be judged. Is that what James is talking about? Is he contradicting Jesus here? Is he affirming this? What does he mean? Because Jesus goes on, notice what it says in verse 15 of this same passage of scripture. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? Jesus in one moment said, judge not, let you be judged. But in this moment, he said, hey, you're going to know whether or not people are real based on what they do. So James is trying to remind us there's a difference between judging someone's fruit and being judgmental about their life. It's an attitude. Our words reflect the attitude, the the criticalness, the, the negativity that's coming within us. So I want you to take a quick test just to see whether or not you're playing God in this area of your life. Here are a few questions. Number one. Do you give yourself the benefit of the doubt, but you refuse to do the same with others? Number two, do you make excuses for your shortcomings, but remain intolerant of the failures of other people? Number three, do you judge others strictly, but always expect grace in your life? saying, beware about playing God with the people in your life. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. I think all of us struggle with this. I I think you're guilty, (laughs) and I know I'm guilty. So I want to take a risk, and I just want to be extremely vulnerable to kind of give you a path. That's what a shepherd does, right? A shepherd has to help guide the sheep. So I want to give you a path if you're struggling with this, because I do. And a week ago today, I was talking with one of my heroes, a mentor, and I found myself in conversation violating this part of James. I wouldn't say that I was acting as judge intentionally, but I was talking in a critical and a negative spirit about someone. And it didn't really, that wasn't the tone of the conversation. It was kind of as we Christians often do. We couch it and pray for this. The conversation ended and everything was fine until the next morning when I was having my time with God and I I was actually out at the beach and I was walking along the beach and looking at creation and listening to godly music and, and thinking about what God was up to in my life that day. And like he was speaking to me verbally, I began to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And instantly I went back to that moment and I realized I was wrong. I, I asked God to forgive me and I repented of that. I said, oh God, help me, to, help me to rid myself of that in my life. And what I do next, when I got back from that walk, I picked up my phone and I texted that individual and I, I said, I've asked God to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. I was wrong. I want to be better than this. Remember, James is talking to the church just as I'm talking to you, professing Christ followers. What would happen if we in the church stopped playing God in other people's lives? I know what it comes from. 
Many of us have been hurt. Maybe you're a victim of abuse, and so you, you try to control. You control the narrative. You may try to control your spouse. You may try to control your children. You try to control the outcome, but you're not God. Beware of playing God with the people in your life. But secondly, he says, beware of playing God with the plans in your life. James is about to describe a specific individual in the church. Now, imagine that. Occasionally, someone will come up to me after the service and say, I feel like you were talking directly to me. And I always say, well, I wasn't. (laughs) I, I was talking to me as much as anyone. I was given the word that God had laid upon my heart, but sometimes it feels that way. Well, James was making it feel this way for the church at Jerusalem because it's as if he was talking about a successful businessman in the body, a specific individual who had done well, and now they had had freedom. They had a little more extra income. They could do what they wanted to do. And so what did they do? Well, this businessman had their plan constructed. They had their place chosen. They had the period of time calculated. They had the purpose considered and they had the profit computed. But the reality was they didn't have a clue. And James is about to tell them that. (laughs) That's true for us. The way we live will sometime reveal that we don't even know what we don't know. You ever look at your children, if you've had kids and you think that, you don't even know what you don't know. I I think God looks at us that way a lot. We act like we're Mr. or Mrs. Big Stuff. We've got the answers. We're large and in charge. And God's saying, you don't even know what you don't know. Look at verse 13. Come now. You don't care about this, but this is a second person singular in that Greek language, which means it's as if he's looking at an individual and he's talking personally in them and saying, listen to me. You who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Here it is again. You do not know. What is your life? In other words, you don't even know what life is. For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And boasting is evil. He gives the contrast to verse 10. When you humble yourself, God exalts you. But when you boast, you take that position of the enemy. You presume upon God. And instead of living in the thrill of God's will, you live in the illusion of your own ignorance. You think you've got it all figured out. But you're playing the part of a fool. Or you're playing the part of Satan. In Isaiah 14, when we see of Lucifer's fall from grace, from God, from heaven, five different times in that chapter, he says, I will, I will, I will. And when we live that way, where our will is the main drive of our life. We're acting like the enemy. And and this is a case study of that because it deals with when we do what we do, the duration of our plans, where we do what we do, the location of our plan, what we do, the vocation of our plans, why we do, the motivation of our plan. Do you play God over these areas of your life? I mentioned it before. Let me mention it again. Just walk through as a child. As a child, we think about what we want to do when we grow up. Most of us don't end up doing that. But we make our plans. 
We fall in love, we say, and so we marry the person we want to marry. Uh, Often we haven't consulted God, but we make our plans. We go do a job because we got a job. We haven't asked God if that's what he wants us to do with our lives, but we make our plans. We begin to make a little money. We buy that TV or that car or that house or whatever we want because we're in charge. We're the master of our fate. We make our plans. And then we retire and we do whatever we want because we've worked hard. We don't consult God, but we make our plans. And yet Pastor James is saying, you don't even know what life is and you're living like you don't even know who God is. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.